Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So uh, super excited, you know, about the story that we have today to tell. We have a really exciting founder. You know, he's going to be sharing with us his journey, his career. Uh, and I think that we're going to be learning a lot about name changes, fundraising, seat rounds that are bumpy, you name it. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Sal Gental. Welcome to the show. Uh, thanks uh, for having me. Uh, glad to be here, Alejandro. So Sal, obviously, you know, born and raised in the Bronx, New York City. I mean, now you're in a different place in Denver, but the uh, New York City, the Bronx. Tell us about life growing up. Yeah, well, my family owned a fish market for three generations in the Bronx. So I grew up to a, a, a small family owned business, um, learned a lot about, you know, dealing with consumers uh, at that point. You know, I have an older brother and a younger sister. We were very competitive. So it allowed me to uh, play a lot of sports and uh, challenge myself in a, in a lot of ways that way. I went to uh, Cardinal Spellman High School, which, um, as it turns out, happens to be where one of our current investors uh, went to high school. So it's a bit of a small world in the uh, in the world of, of fundraising um, at Vestar. So I uh, was happy to make that uh, reconnection. Uh, Bronx was just a great place to grow up for us. You know, I could walk to grammar school, um, had a big ball field to play in, had a, uh, you know, Long Island Sound to jump in whenever I wanted to. So uh, I'm happy for the experience. Very nice. So so why, out of all things that you could have done, why computer science? Yeah. So, well, it turns out I was really good at uh, math and not so good at anything else academically. I learned this because I was recruited to play football at the Merchant Marine Academy over in Kings Point. But you had to get uh, a thousand points on the SAT, which was no problem, but at least 500 in each segment. And I got plenty of math points and not nearly enough verbal uh, English points. And so when I was looking for a college to go to after that fell through, I decided I was going to study either engineering or computer sciences. And when I ended up at Pace University in Westchester County, engineering wasn't one of the offerings and computer science was. It seemed like a, a, a hot um, idea at the time and one that I thought I could excel in. Very cool. And obviously here, I mean, it was a pivotal moment going to Pace because there you met your wife, you know, during this time. Then you guys moved to Long Island. But 
one thing that was interesting there is that you decided to apply, you know, your your learnings and everything into the world of healthcare. So so tell us about this. When I was in college, I was fortunate that I, I was ahead on credits. And so I, I got an internship at IBM and I learned a, a very specific skill. It was the early days of email and it was a mainframe based email system. And it just turns out that Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center had deployed that product, one of the few in the world to do so. And they needed someone who knew that technology. And so I ended up in healthcare, uh, not out of any great passion because I needed a job and I had a skill and it aligned with something that they needed. And uh, so just fortuitous that, you know, where I was um, in my college career allowed me the internship that trained me on a skill that got me the first job. And then from there, I really learned at least the provider side of the healthcare business for the next few years. Very cool. So then in, in, in this case, I mean, IBM obviously was um, was a really big one. I mean, there you were, you were responsible for New York hospitals and, and so forth. But, but after this, you were recruited out. So, so why, why did you decide it was time to leave out of IBM? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing. I, I had a, a mentor of sorts. I was having a great career at IBM. I, I, I was there at the right place, right time, um, and I did really well. When I met with my mentor and she asked, you know, what I saw for my future, I said, well, I want to be the CEO of IBM. And she said, well, that's not going to happen. And and I was like, well, how could you say that? You know, I'm a young man. I'm doing really well. And she said, well, you just don't have the right credentials, the right background. She was probably right. But, you know, it was not a message I wanted to hear in my late 20s as I was, you know, doing so well. And I was being recruited uh, by an entrepreneur who had uh, decided to start a software company. Uh, it was a good time in, in our life for me to do that. My my wife's career was going really well. And so it was the right time to take risk. And I had, you know, entrepreneurial uh, juices as, you know, as uh, from my family's background growing up. And it just seemed like the right time. And and there, I mean, with, with this company, which was middleware, I mean, you were able as well to see the company going public. I mean, how how early did you join that business? I was the eighth employee and the first person not writing code. So I, I joined early wow. in, uh, in 1995, um, and uh, the IPO was just shy of three years later. So you obviously experienced the whole, you know, dot-com bubble. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, what, yeah. What, 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 what did you learn out of those days? Um, you know, the, 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 the founder of that company is a guy named Rick Adam, and I think the greatest thing I learned was just – the, the will to achieve, you know, just it, there was no obstacle too big uh, that that couldn't be overcome if you just, you know, thought it through and, and just had the will to, to, you know, work through it. We had competition. We had fits and starts with software. Um, you know, we had plenty of competitors. There was, there was always a reason to fail. And we always just, you know, pushed on through. And, and that was probably the greatest lesson I learned at that time was that, you know, there was always a way forward if you just had the will to do so. And in this case, the founder of the company actually called you again. Tell us about this call. The, the, the technology guys that worked with uh, Rick, that really were the, the, the brains behind the underlying infrastructure, they started a new company to advance the technology and take it forward. And um, they were floundering a little in the marketplace and needed somebody who understood the technology to sell it. And so I joined them in the early 2000s um, and helped them 
you know, create a market for this next generation of the software. Um, and as a result of that, we were able to find a buyer, uh, the Trizetto Corporation, which is which is how I got sort of introduced to the health plan space. Very nice. So in this company, I mean, the one that you went to, Tricetto, I mean, that was another another nice outcome, you know, another acquisition. Uh, and 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 tell us about what was the business model there. I mean, what what were you doing there? Because obviously here you were another early employee. Yeah, we we were a highly integrated software and service model that was, you know, prepared to outsource all of the middle and back office operations of a health insurance company. Um, and we would do that for the very largest uh, health plans in, in, in the country and, and take over pieces of their business or have our software utilized for, for segments of their business down to, you know, a full outsourcing of a smaller um, single state, oftentimes single line of business health plan. So that was the business. Um, when I was introduced, I had some experience with large uh, company sales. And so I was given responsibility for most of the large health plans in the country that we hadn't quite cracked the code on yet. And um, and I had some success there and just worked my way through uh, to ultimately being president of the, of the, the health plan markets. And what an outcome, 2.7 billion of an acquisition. So not uh, not bad at all. How, 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 how early? What, what, what number of employees were you there? No, I was much later there. The, the, my business partner, Dave Pinkert, was there near to the beginning. Um, the company had gone public, I think, in the late 90s. Um, I joined in 2004. We were actually taken private in somewhere around 2008. Um, and that's really where I was able to take advantage of the, the transaction. By then, I was a, a more senior executive and um, was able to participate in the in the exit. And here, I mean, at least Tricero, the, the, the biggest thing that I gave you was you having the opportunity of meeting your co-founder, David. So what was that process of, of you know, brainstorming and, and then, you know, realizing, hey, I think that maybe here we got a very interesting idea. Let's let's do it together. Well, you know, what I learned from my, you know, when I left IBM and, and joined the startup software company is that, you know, connecting yourself to the right people uh, is, is oftentimes the most important thing. Well, I was maybe two weeks into my Trizetto career, and uh, I didn't even know what the company did. I was much more a provider guy than a payer guy, and, and I was learning the business, and I got us a a meeting with Cigna, with the senior executive staff at Cigna. They were having a strategic planning meeting. Um, and there was this product manager, Dave Pinkert, my business partner, um, and he owned this product that uh, helped the, the network side of the payer space to automate their, their back office. In any case, I get the meeting scheduled. He, he joins me at the meeting. I give a one slide overview and then sit down next to the then CIO of Cigna, Scott Storer. And uh, Dave takes over for the next hour and tells them all about his background and what the software does and how it works. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget Scott, you know, elbowed me and he, he says, you're very lucky to have that guy on your team. And uh, long and short of it is we, we ended up doing a very significant transaction north of $30 million. It put me on the map. It put us on the map as a team. We wound up replicating that transaction some 30 times after that over the next 10 years working together um, and just had a great deal of success. And, and what I learned was 
uh, you know, I could get us a meeting and Dave knew how the business worked and together we were a formidable team and, and we'd stayed, you know, closely connected ever since. So then tell us about then, you know, the, the opportunity of, of what is now, you know, like, and we'll talk about it Friday health plans because we, we went through, you know, several name changes, but, but tell us about, you know, the, the, you know, that moment where you and David look at each other on the eye and said, this is it. Yeah. So, so he had left Trizetto in about 2012 or 13. We had been staying in close contact and I had left a strategic planning meeting and said to him, you know, the, the market's really shifting here. The ACA has passed. It's law of the land. You know, we have been putting more individuals on our software platforms than we have, you know, group-based products. And uh, there really wasn't any group-based software in the market. So we started discussing, should we go start a company that changes the infrastructure for the individual consumer? Because uh, that's where we saw the growth in the marketplace. And then we re reminded ourselves how hard it was to sell software and services to health plans and thought, is it a crazy idea to start a health plan? And um, based on some of the um, you know ideas that we had about the, the power of price in an immature consumer market, and could we build a better price with our backgrounds in, in the you know software and infrastructure side of the business? With uh, loss ratios being fixed in the in the uh, ACA space, could we build a better company by building a more efficient operating model? And we thought, well, if we can't, who can? And so we just you know kept trying to talk ourselves out of it. And with every interaction, we kept convincing ourselves more and more that this was the right thing to do. So we we started Sal and Dave's Health Ventures. Um, and then we hired a marketing person who said, that's a terrible idea. And so then we became Canopy Health Insurance because we thought, well, at least, you know, we're, we're trying to cover, you know, the individuals. And, and then we were sued by a, by a, a, a small woman's clinic. And we're like, oh, that's not going to work. So then we, we, we created Melody Health Insurance. Dave's a, a, a musician. And we thought, well, we could make some marketing alignment with that. And then we were sued by another company who was using that name. We're like, all right, time's up. We need a new brand that supports what we're trying to accomplish, easy, friendly, you know, a new day in healthcare, and that we could get the rights to in all 50 states. So we put the... Uh, lawyers to work and uh and then we got the friday health plan brand so we're that's happy incredible. that that's behind us and we are now friday health plan so how many how many name changes all in all four wow we, you know the, the, we we went we went in search of capital as sal and dave's health ventures um and then canopy then melody or maybe i've got that backwards melody then canopy and then fr finally friday four wow. four well, Friday is definitely uplifting, and without a doubt, we're always looking, all of us, looking for Friday to celebrate, but in or to be with the family. But in any case, you know, in here in in you know with Friday, what ended up being the business model? How do you guys make money, Sal? Yeah, so you know, the the beauty of the Affordable Care Act is it creates these public exchanges, right, where we can talk directly to the consumer. Um, and so our business model is rather straightforward. Back in 2013, the, the pre-ACA, there was Romney Care, what Massachusetts calls the Massachusetts Connector. And it was the, the first opportunity for uh, consumers to buy an exchange-based individual health insurance product. And 
that year, one of our Trizetto customers, Neighborhood Health Plan, had a small price advantage over the best brands in the industry. Blue Cross of Massachusetts, uh, Harvard Pilgrim, Tufts Health Plan, the best brands really in the industry. And Neighborhood Health Plan won a material market share with a small price advantage. And it guided us to say, okay, if we could get there, we could win membership, right? And then we knew enough to know the unit economics matter in setting price when you're underwriting a health plan. So we went about talking to the provider community and saying, hey, look, you know, do you need an ACA partner? This is who we are. This is what we're going to do. And we, to our surprise, found willing participants who were willing to give us, you know, reasonably aggressive pricing to allow us to reach our underwriting targets. And the rest for us was just, um, you know, we're just maniacal about our unit economics. So we only invest in things on our on our uh, administrative side that add value to the consumer. And so we have a very robust but low-cost platform to operate our business. It allows us to get to profitability at much smaller scale than any of the health plans we had interacted with or, or some of the more recent startups. Um, and so it puts us in a unique position to return that profitability back to price competitiveness. And so that's our, our operating model is, is price wins. It won't win forever. So you've got to build a, a, a really good um, brand around you know, customer service and ultimately make money and return that money to ongoing price competitiveness in, in the marketplace. Um, and that's our, we call it the virtuous cycle of a health plan. And, and that's how we operate our business every year. And, and in this case, I mean, how much, how much capital have you guys raised to date for the company? We just completed a round. It brings our total equity to about 130 million of equity and about 90 million of debt. Wow, so that's a lot of zeros. Good stuff. Yeah. But I know that it was not a, an easy journey because the seed round was you experienced you guys experienced a little bit of a hiccup. So what happened there? Well, you know, it was interesting. You know, we we thought that would be the easy part, right? Two guys coming out of the industry with this, you know, solid business plan. And uh, it didn't go quite as smoothly as we wanted. And, you know, kind of a funny story, we we ended up in front of a group of, of investors over the course of a week. And one of the executives in residence that was, you know, evaluating our business plan turned out to be Bob Sheehy. And those three uh, uh, private equity investors and Bob founded Bright Healthcare. So we kind of knew we were on the right path because we were pitching these investors and they were obviously, you know, clearly interested in the market and, and thought enough of the concept to fund Bright Health um, and look, can't blame them, right? You know, Bob's got, you know, a tremendous resume. He really knows the business. They've done a great job over there, right? But it gave us confidence that even though we, we failed in our attempt in that swing, that, that we knew we were on to something that between what Oscar was doing and what Bright was doing, we felt like if we just stuck to it, we would find partners. What's interesting, though, is we wound up getting into business without an institutional investor. So, you know, Dave and I put our, our you know, Trizetto money to work. Uh, we found a couple of angel investors who were great, uh, grateful to have. And with that capital, we thought we would get a license in, in the state of Nevada. Um, turns out that they wanted a lot more capital than the statutory requirements suggest. But, you know, sometimes 
when one door closes, another opens. And two weeks later, our reinsurance broker said, well, I know it didn't go well in Nevada this year, but there's a health plan in Colorado that's under some distress. Would you be interested? And they had about 8,000 individual consumers on their exchange. And so we, we looked at that and said, you know what, there's some really great people down here. It's, it, it aligns with our operating thesis on low cost, high value, and it gives us a base of membership. And so we worked it out with the, you know, the commissioner of insurance and with their board, and we acquired that health plan. We operated it through 16 and closed on it 17, and that's how we got into business. That's amazing. And obviously, the rest is history. So, um, so Sal, you know, in this case, for you guys to kind of like get a, a good understanding or an idea on the scope and the size of, of, of Friday, uh, what can you share with us? You know, anything around employee, number of employees or anything else? Yeah, we're, we're at just about 400 employees now. Uh, it's hard to put a finger on it because we're growing like a weed. I, I uh, welcome every single employee to the business every week. And so I have a, a good <laughs> count because we get about 10 or 12 new employees every Monday, uh, starting with the company. And so I think we, we, if we haven't just gone over 400, we're just about to. Um, about 300 of those are in the state of Colorado, and we probably have another 100 distributed out in the states where we're either currently providing service or building network to provide service in the near future. I mean, with those numbers, the fact that you're welcoming them personally when they come to the office on Monday for the very first time, you know, it's a, it really tells a lot about how you are thinking about culture. So, so how do you really think about culture and, and what is the culture of Friday, if you had to describe it to us? Yeah, it's a very simple one as it relates to our employees. Satisfied employees satisfy customers. Right. And um, if you're familiar with uh, Built to Last by Jim Collins, you know, that that's a book that has influenced me greatly over uh, my years of managing people. And, you know, we we run our company under the built to last model, you know, in everything we do. And so, you know, our our, our very first employee was our, our chief people officer. And it says a lot about, you know, how we went about this. Right. We we. Uh, treat people really well. Um, we, we let them um, not only thrive in their career within the company, but we also let them contribute um, externally in the community. I, I find, you know, that that's a really important thing for businesses as you're scaling, right? That people can be proud of their employer when they're in the community that they're serving. I mean, the great news about Friday Health Plans is we're serving that community, right? We're selling an ACA health plan oftentimes to subsidized individuals who need help. So we're already in a market providing this great public good, but then to have our employees go a step further and really take care of our customers and the people in the community around them um, is is ingrained in our entire culture, and uh, it drives everything we do. And you were alluding to to the market. I mean, where do you think the market is going as a whole for you guys? Yeah. Well, you know, if I'm right in a generation or so from now, we will see the end of group health insurance as we know it. And uh, really, the, the individual market will be here to stay. So if you sort of look at the progression, right, you know, you, you've had uh, employers used to offer this wonderful benefit and it was no charge to the consumer, the, the employee. And then over time, we started adding 
deductibles. We started asking employees to pay for some of the insurance premium. We started asking them to pay for co-pays. And then we, you know, introduced high deductible plans. And we've put more and more of a burden on the employee to make it work for the employer. Then we saw Medicare Advantage come along and and a, a subsidized consumer could go to a marketplace and buy their own health insurance. And we're like, okay, that's a market and it works. And then we had the ACA pass for those people below the age of, of Medicare and the same outcome. A subsidized consumer could go to a marketplace and pick amongst the choices with the help of a broker often and make that work. And we're like, okay, well, well those two things are good. We now have legislation that's fairly bipartisan that now allows a group, an employer, to offer a, a defined contribution to their employee and let them go buy individual health insurance subsidized by their employer. And we think that's the right role for the employer. They can be a subsidy. They shouldn't be a decision maker. There are more than enough choices out there. If you look at the current CMS map today, you're going to see every county in the United States has at least two options now for individual health insurance. And the major metro areas and their and their close suburbs have four or more and oftentimes five plus choices of carriers and hundreds of plan types. It's just a better option for consumers. And I think we are um, going to aggressively head down that path. Now that there's plenty of choice, plenty of subsidy dollars avail available from the government, it just seems like uh, in a very stable ACA marketplace, it just seems like too good an idea for the for the market to, to not adopt it. I think that in, in your case, too, I mean, with what you guys are doing is remarkable because not only you're dealing with the uncertainty of of building a startup or building something from nothing, but then also you are navigating, you know, the the, the regulatory landscape because it's a heavily regulated uh, space. So, so how, how how do you go about that? Yeah, I have a great team of people um, who do that, and and that's exactly right. I mean, when 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 we go to market, it's a year and a half to two years of building a network. We'll call that the very tip of the spear. And right behind it is the entire process of filing for a license, working with the local regulators, getting approval, working with the federal government to become a qualified health plan um, in that market. And then just, you know, working with the regulators, whether it's on capital planning for our business or uh, market conduct and all of the other activities. And then, you know, when asked, we, we work with those regulators very closely, along with all the other health plans in that community, to try and advance the goal of, you know, more choices and better outcomes for the constituents in those states. And so it's a very symbiotic relationship, and it's very heavily regulated, um, but it, it works really well in, in the case of uh, the ACA. And in your case, I mean, your, your trajectory, I, I find very interesting because, you know, once you left IBM, you were joining those companies. I mean, not 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 the entrepreneurial way, but more the intrapreneurial way, where you were joining, you know, like without that much risk, but still with risk. So, where, was it always the plan to eventually become an entrepreneur and do it your own, or or did it just happen, you know, with with Friday? It was always aspirational, but you know, I'm a fairly conservative person. I have three children. You know, my my wife. Uh, uh, was in a position to stay home and and raise them, starting with when the third was born in the early 2000s, and and so you know I always took measured risk. 
right? So leaving IBM to join a startup software company was a measured risk. Based on the success of that business, it afforded us the opportunity to take some more risk and, um, you know, landing at uh, ultimately at, at Trizetto, uh, you know, put me in a position to, you know, succeed again. And by that point, you know, I was in a position to, you know, take the kind of risk that, that a Friday uh, uh, required. Got it. And in, and in that in that sense, you know, as, as we're looking back to, imagine if I'm able to put you into a time machine and I'm able to bring you back in time to that moment where, you know, you were talking to your partner, David, and thinking about like, what would this company be? And, and what would you guys, you know, do to bring it to life? If you had that opportunity to speak with the two of you, you know, with, with, with those younger selves and give them one piece of advice before launching the business, what would that be and why, given what you know now? Bootstrapping a health plan is a terrible idea and you need to raise more capital sooner. Um, you know, maybe by the grace of God, we find ourselves here and a whole lot of hard work by a bunch of really great people that we learned from along the way. But, you know, I, I, not for the faint of heart, and I wouldn't do it that way again. I, I would have found more capital partners before we launched. And to, 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 that, to that point, you know, just to expand a little bit more, how, do you, how has your perception around fundraising changed? Because I'm sure that perhaps you were bootstrapping there either because you didn't want to deal with more partners or because you wanted to keep the equity. But how has your perception changed? You know, frankly, it was neither of those two. Um, I am always uh, attuned to to dilution for the team's sake, but um, the, the reality was we just couldn't find an institutional partner. You got to think about it. The, the the headwinds going into 2016, you had uh, you know Donald Trump running for president, wanting to effectively you know eliminate the ACA, and that was the market we were trying to run into. You know, the, the guys who had a thesis around that had already invested in Bright and Oscar and, you know, and, and they were quickly pivoting away to Medicare Advantage and others seeing their own businesses possibly being at risk. No one was making money in the ACA. The, the uh, co-ops were all going under as massive failures. So it was just we picked the wrong time to raise institutional capital. Um, and yet we, we were still, you know, with with a significant amount of conviction. And and so we just thought we could do it ourselves. We thought we could get a single state license with the capital we did acquire. That turned out, as you know, to be a, a, a flawed assumption and forced us, thankfully, into business by buying a company, which turned out to be a great company and brought us tremendous assets, um, including our COO and a bunch of uh, great team players that have gotten us to where we are. Amazing. Well, Sal, for the people that are listening and also watching, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Yeah, um, sal.gentilly at uh, fridayhealthplans.com. Um, happy to uh, interact and, uh, you know, come visit our, our, our website, uh, fridayhealthplans.com. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Amazing. Well, Sal, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. You bet. Thank you for having me, Alejandro. And you have a great show. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, 
you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.